We're in week number five of our series called God of the Underdogs. And let me just kind of catch you up on this series if you haven't been here with us the last couple of weeks. This is a series about realizing that in life, on some levels, we're all underdogs. That there's always someone that's better than us at something. There's always someone that's more qualified than us at something. That when it comes to a relationship with God and specifically being used by God to accomplish something great, we can find a plethora of people who would be better suited for God to use than us because of different reasons. And those reasons are what we're talking about in this series. And in fact, we're calling those reasons excuses. And so many times we hide behind excuses in life that keep us from being used from God because we tend to feel like realities of our limitations are are stumbling blocks to God using us. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason, so many times we tend to lean into being underdogs because it's sometimes easier not to have the expectation to be successful or achieve great things. And we won't feel as though we're failures if, if great things aren't expected of us. But, but I believe that for all of us, God wants to do some great things in our lives and that he has a plan for each of us, and that in spite of where you are in life and what your life may look like and what limitations you may feel like you have, God loves to use underdogs. And throughout all of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, there's story after story of God using underdogs, people who would not be the first or the best choice. God chose to use them to accomplish incredible things. And I'm just foolish enough to believe that you and I could be the person that God chooses to use to do some great things. And I hope that we can see past some excuses. So we've looked at several excuses, but today I want to look at an excuse that we sometimes lean into that causes us to fail to believe that God could do great things through us. And it's an excuse that says, my past is too bad. That for whatever reason, what has happened in my past disqualifies me or limits me from being used of God because of my failures, because of my mistakes, because of my shortcomings. I am not suited to be used by God going forward. And that's just, it's just an unfortunate situation. But the truth is, is that our culture builds that mentality into our mind. You want to go to apply for a job and you you put an application in, you go for an interview, they're interested in your past. They want to know what you have accomplished in your past. They want to know what things about your past might limit you from being successful in the role that you're applying for. Your past is important to people. You want to look at starting a relationship with someone. Your past is important. They want to know who you are and what you've done and what your past looks like so that they can judge if who you are is worthy of their time or their energy or their relationship. And so we tend to measure people by their past. We tend to look at people's past as a predictor for their future. And we tend to look at people through the lens that says, What you've done defines who you are, and we judge people according to their past. It's an unfortunate thing, but it's true. It's true. Now, when it comes to our past, let's all be honest with each other and say that there's things in our past that we would rather not be exposed, right? There are things in our past that we're not proud of. We've made some mistakes. We've we've done some things that, that we regret. And those things sometimes haunt us even to this day. And sometimes we can't see past those mistakes. Sometimes they aren't simple mistakes, but rather they're lifestyle 
decisions. And we've lived certain ways, and sometimes we've been proud of the ways that we've lived, but we now realize, looking back, that we didn't do some things that were the most wise for us to do, and, and, and specifically, they weren't the most godly thing for us to do. Uh, you know, when we look at our past, there are simple events that have happened to us that we've done. There are decisions that we've made that we regret, that we knew instantly there were bad decisions. And sometimes they're small things, right? Like the time that uh, I was attending church in middle school and we had a new family come to our church and, and I had met a young man named Chris who was about my age. And um, that week we went to a church league basketball game to watch some men play basketball. And, and Chris was there. And so um, I sat with Chris and wanted to get to know Chris. And there was this man playing basketball that I didn't think was very good. And I kept talking about how bad he was. And man, he just shoots too much. And what was that? God, that guy's awful. He can't play defense. And I'm just on and on about this man playing basketball, right? And didn't think anything about it until after the game. And this man that I had been talking about comes up to Chris and gives him a hug. And Chris says, good job, Dad. That was a good game. And I felt like, no, I shouldn't have said those things. Right? That was a mistake. It was something I regretted. I should not have said the things that I said. And had I known certain things, I wouldn't have. But the truth is, what's in your heart comes out of your mouth. And I shouldn't have even thought the things. I shouldn't have had the motivation to say the things that I had in the, in the first place. You know, it's a, it's a small thing. You've done small things like that. You've said things that you shouldn't have said. You've done things that you shouldn't have done. But then they're, they're the skeletons in the closet. You know, the things that you don't really want to tell people about. The mistakes that you've made that you want to leave in the past, but you can't really get rid of. You know, it's the thing that, that you don't want your friends to find out about. You don't want your, your boyfriend or girlfriend, you don't want your spouse to know about when you're starting to date. You don't want your employer to know about because that would disqualify you from being creditable in their eyes. Things that we're just really embarrassed about and ashamed of and guilty of. We've had failures, and we've had mistakes, and, and our culture has built this mentality into us that basically says what you've done defines who you are. But here's the tragic part about it. The tragic part about our past is that the church has played a role in defining people based on what they've done. And the church has been irresponsible in some ways, let's just be honest. In creating a mindset that everyone in the church should be perfect. And we like to make it aware to people when they're not perfect. We like to point out mistakes in people. And we like to point fingers. And we like to call meetings and say, you shouldn't have done this. And this was a bad thing. And we're going to have to ask you to step off of this and stop doing that. And you're not welcome to do this because of your past. And we heard that this happened. And, and we have this environment that's supposed to be a loving embracing environment where anyone can belong. And we've created a culture where people feel as if they're not worthy to be a part of the church because of something in their past. And today I want us to look at a person in scripture who had a past like you and like me did some things he wasn't proud of, lived a lifestyle that he regretted but God chose to use him in spite of it. And if nothing else today, I want you to hear that your past does not define you. But your relationship with Jesus Christ is all that matters when it comes to who you are today. And who Jesus says you are far outweighs who you may think 
people see you as and who you may feel as if you've become because of some things in your past. Now, it's hard for us, let's just be honest, it's hard for us to get past our past. It's hard for us to let go of some things that have happened to us. And it's almost as if we carry things from the past with us into the future and we allow it to become a hindrance to us going forward. And today, I hope and pray, my my goal today is that we would learn to leave the past in the past. You know, it's good to look back on the past when you are proud of the past, right? But sometimes we even need to let go of some things that we're proud of so that God can use us in the future. But specifically, if you've got things in your past that limit you, that hold you back, that hold you captive, that, that leads you to live a life full of guilt and shame and condemnation, there is freedom in Jesus Christ. And my hope and prayer for you today is that like the person we're going to talk about, you'll allow God to define who you are and step into his calling on your life and his purposes for your life. We're going to look at a man in the New Testament today. His name is Paul. You've, if you've been around church much, you've probably heard of a man named Paul. He was called the Apostle Paul. Um, likely you've heard of him because he wrote what's come to be two-thirds of our New Testament in the Bible today. Uh, this was a brilliant leader in the New Testament, probably outside of Jesus Christ, the greatest leader in the New Testament, that accomplished some incredible things. And, and I'll be honest, I don't think of Paul as an underdog. I think of Paul as a champion. I mean, a man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, a man who accomplished so much for God is surely, he's a champion, right? Like, he was bred to win. He was a man that was, from the very beginning of his life, he was destined for greatness. But it's just not the case. And just like so many people you know that you might admire and that you might put on a pedestal, everyone has a past, We don't always see it, but everyone has a past. You have a past, I have a past. And Paul had a past. And his past was the fact that he grew up in an extremely religious home. That doesn't sound like a bad past, but it became a bad past because he grew up in a religious home and he received religious training and he went on to become what's known as a Pharisee. an incredibly religious man who was devout in the things of Judaism and the Jewish faith and following God. And part of his downfall and something that he regretted was the way he saw Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came to the earth and he lived a perfect life and he he died on a cross and He was buried, and three days later, he raised from the grave, and people started following Jesus. Jesus was the Messiah that was prophesied about in Scripture, and the Jews believed that there was a Messiah to come. They just didn't believe that Jesus was him. And when people started following Jesus, and Jesus ascended to the Father, and the church was birthed, and people began to hear the message of Jesus, and they began to follow what was called the way, and they followed the things of Jesus, the religious people had a goal to stop that movement. Because they thought that it was ungodly. And so Paul was a member of this group of people who set out to persecute Christians. To stop the movement of the church. To find people who followed Jesus and mistreat them, torture them, imprison them, and sometimes murder them, execute them. Because of their faith in Jesus Christ. This was a man who thought he had everything together and was widely respected by a lot of people. But the truth is, is he was far from living a godly life. He was far from God. 
He, he was living a lifestyle that he was proud of, that he believed in, but it wasn't a lifestyle that honored God. Now, I want to read a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter number 26. We're going to start reading in verse number 4. And the setting of this Scripture is Paul imprisoned. The irony of a man who used to imprison Christians is now imprisoned for being a follower of Jesus. People want him dead. There are people that are fighting to get him executed. And he's before King Agrippa. And he is given an opportunity to defend himself, to say some things, to justify who he is, to prove that he shouldn't be imprisoned and he shouldn't be put to death and that he should be released. And so he's given his statement, if you will, to King Agrippa. And I want you to notice what he says in Acts chapter number 26, starting in verse number 4. The Jews all know the way that I lived ever since I was a child From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest set of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. From the time I was a child, I have a past. I had a way of life. People knew me in a certain way. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Do you have a past? Do people know things about you that seem to define you? Has there been a lifestyle in your history, in your past, that people knew of who you were, that you aren't necessarily proud of, that wasn't necessarily honoring to God? He's, he's not trying to hide who he used to be. He's not ashamed of who he used to be. He's not trying to pretend that who he used to be isn't the person he is now, he's proclaiming to the king, it's true that I have a past. And I think that it's important for us to note here that it's okay for us to have a past. Though we may feel ashamed and, and guilty because of our past, we all know that we all have a past. We all know that there's things in our history that we're dishonoring to God. And many times we try to pretend as though we don't have a past and that's what creates more guilt and shame in our lives. Now, I'm not telling you you should be proud of your past if you have a past that doesn't honor God, but there's no reason to hide your past. And Paul gives us freedom to be confident in who we are based on the things in our past. Verse number nine, he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. When Paul talks about his past, He talks about having authority to act in his past by the chief priests. There were people who supported his past. And likely you've got people in your life that have supported some things in your past. They know the things about your past. They participated in some things of your past. And you were there with people living a lifestyle, making choices that didn't honor God, doing things in the company of people 
that you're not proud of. But listen to what he goes on and how he describes it. He describes it as his obsession to stop followers of Jesus. Now, we don't want to admit all the time, but the truth is, is a lot of our life is centered around obsessions. And in your past, there were things that you were obsessed with. Those obsessions might have centered around money. They might have centered around relationships. They might have centered around addictions or habits. They might have centered around uh, people's perception of you. Whatever your obsession was, it drove what you did. And Paul here is admitting that his obsession, he was so obsessed with his lifestyle that it often drove him to foreign cities that he traveled great distances just to persecute Christians. He loved his life so much. He was so firm in his lifestyle. He was so set in his ways. He was so obsessed with stopping the movement of Jesus that he would often go out of his way to find people who were following Jesus just to imprison them and mistreat them and have them put to death. He was obsessed with a lifestyle. And in your past, you have obsessions. You have things that drove your behavior. You had things that consumed your mind. You had things that, that made up your life, that dictated what you did and who you were becoming. And those obsessions can be dangerous because they're often confirmed by people in our life and we don't see them always as negative. But now that we are a little older and we look back on life, we tend to see the path for what it was. And we tend to see the error of our ways and we tend to look back and regret things and we see the mistakes that we made even though maybe at the time we didn't understand because we were so obsessed with those things. Paul was a man who had a past and his life was not a life that honored God. Now the story's going to take a slight twist here because he's going to continue telling his story, but his story is a remarkable story because in spite of his opposition to Christians and to Christ and the church, listen to what happens next. On one of the journeys, verse number 12, I was going to Damascus. You can read about this story in Acts chapter 9 in full detail. With the authority and the commission of the chief priests, about noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. And we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So in his obsession, he's gotten permission from the chief priests to go and persecute Christians in a town called Damascus, in the city of Damascus. And as he's on the road to Damascus, about noon, a bright light from the sky blinded him, knocked him to the ground, and he hears a voice. It's the voice of God saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now this is, this is an experience that's undeniable. Okay, this isn't a man who thought he heard something and had a strange thought. This is a man who was literally blinded because of this event. And later God restored his sight. But this was a man who had an undeniable experience and God was getting his attention. God was meeting him where he was. God was showing up in his life at just the right time. And so many of us have had experiences where God has showed up and shown himself to us and gotten our attention. 
You know, you know I hear a lot of people tear their stories and they tell stories of, uh, of all the evil things they did in their past. You know, they had addictions and, and they were on drugs and they were imprisoned and they have these bad, bad, terrible things they did. And then, and then like Paul, God got a hold of their life and changed them radically and then they lived a completely different life. And my story is not that story. And so many times I hear that story and I say, God, you know, I kind of wish I had that story. I feel like it would give me more credibility with a lot of people. I wish that I could talk about how you radically transformed my life. But the truth is, on November 1st, 1987, just 12 days before my eighth birthday, God showed up in my life. Now, I remember that I was at a Baptist church, and it was a Sunday evening service. And I felt like God had shown up in my life. He showed himself to me. He was calling to me. And making himself known to me. And on November 1st, 1987, I gave my life to Jesus. I surrendered to him. Okay, and so from an early age, I've lived my life for Jesus. I've grown up in the church. I, I don't have a, a ton of like evil, evil things to do. But the truth is, the truth is, is that there are things in my past that I'm not proud of. Even after becoming a follower of Jesus, there are things that I've done and and prideful situations and, and habits and, and bad things that I've done that I'm not proud of. The beautiful thing, the beautiful thing is, no matter what your past is, is that Jesus has a way of getting our attention. He has a way of coming to us where we are and showing himself to us and calling us to leave a life and follow him. The beautiful thing is, is that is that. Paul, whose name was Saul before this conversion experience, wasn't expected to get his act together before Jesus showed up in his life. You ever had that thought? You know, I've got some baggage, I've got some things, I've got some things I need to fix about myself, and then I'm going to get those things fixed and right. And I've been working on it for a couple of years, but one of these days I'm going to get those things fixed, and then God can use me, or, or then I'll try to do something for God. But right now I'm just really not in the place, and that's just not how God works. That's not how God worked in the life of Paul. And it's not how God wants to work in your life. He doesn't expect you to have everything together and be perfect before he comes to you and makes himself known to you. As Paul was going to persecute followers of Jesus, as he was going to stop people from spreading the message of Jesus, Jesus showed up. Now, he didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't support the teachings of Jesus. He was trying to stop people, imprison people, put people to death that were spreading this false message. But it's hard to kind of argue against a blinding light that throws you to the ground and a voice you hear from heaven that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I mean, this was an undeniable experience where Jesus showed up in his life. I love that Jesus showed up right where he was. And listen to what Paul says. I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. You might get your attention. You might get your attention. You're living a life that directly opposes a man named Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You're trying to stop any spread of his name, and then Jesus stops you on a road and blinds you and throws you to the ground, and you hear a voice that says, hey, by the way, I'm Jesus. You know the one that you're trying to stop? You know, you're persecuting people who follow me. Yeah, that's me. Why are you persecuting me? You ever had that experience where God's just gotten your attention? It doesn't have to be just once. I remember when I was 
freshman in college and I thought I had my life planned out and God showed up in my life and called me to leave my dreams behind and pursue a life in ministry. It was like God got my attention. I remember when I was a student pastor and God showed up in my life and, that, and called me to start this church, to plant this church. It was like God got my attention. I can tell you numerous times in my life where I was doing some things that I probably shouldn't have been doing and God just showed up in my life and just was like, hey, by the way, shouldn't be doing that. And God shows up in our life when we need him the most, sometimes when it's least expected. He has a way of getting our attention. He has a way of kind of shaking us to the core. He has a way of revealing himself to us in such an authentic way that's beyond, you know, fictional beliefs in some book that has been passed on for hundreds of years. It's, it's a legitimate experience with the living creator of the world. And Paul has this experience, and he's on the ground, and Jesus says, I am Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? I love the next part. Verse number 16, Jesus says, Now get up and stand on your feet. Now, he knocked him down onto the ground, and he tells him to get up and stand on his feet. Physically, this happened. I believe that he fell down into the dirt of the road, and then Jesus tells him to stand up on his feet. But I love the language that's used here because I think it completely describes what happens when Jesus shows himself to us. That Jesus shows up and reveals himself to us, and, and it's kind of like he knocks us down off our high horse. He kind of gets our attention and, and kind of knocks us down. And so many times when that happens, we have a tendency to want to stay down there, right? Oh, I've made mistakes. I've got a past. I regret things, and I'm not worthy of standing before Jesus. And we do what some people call wallowing in our sin. We tend to stay down there in the dirt, and we want to hide our face, and we want people to know about what we've done. But Jesus doesn't come to Paul to say, hey, you who persecutes me, you evil person, throws him in the ground, and he doesn't expect him to stay there. In other words, Jesus didn't come to condemn the man that should have been condemned. Jesus didn't come to humiliate a man who needed to be humiliated. Could Jesus have done that? Absolutely. Could Jesus have made a spectacle of a man that has been opposing him for years? You bet. But he didn't. He said, now stand up. And it's like when he stood up, it's like he's standing up now in who Christ says he is and not who he used to be. So I love the fact that Jesus doesn't point himself out. He doesn't show himself to us just to point out our mistakes. He doesn't want us just to feel the weight of our bad. But he wants us to leave the bad behind and stand up in him afresh and anew. Now, I love 2 Corinthians 5, 7, which was written by Paul, when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. And I can just imagine him thinking about this moment in his life, that there was a moment where he was knocked down off his high horse, and Jesus called him to stand up in him, and it's like the old things passed away, and he was made into a new creation. He became a brand new person in Jesus Christ. Who he was was no longer defined by his past, and by his mistakes, and by his regrets, and by his shame, and by his guilt in light of Jesus, but 
but rather it was defined by who Jesus was calling him to be. And I want you to hear who Jesus is calling him to be. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I know that you're opposing me. I know that you're persecuting me. I know that you're on a mission to go and try to find some followers of Jesus and you're going to imprison them and you hope that some of them will die and you'll take pride in that. You'll be very proud that you did that. But that's not what you're going to do anymore. That's who you used to be. We're going to leave that behind. And I'm calling you now to be a servant of mine. You're going to be a follower of mine. You're going to be a witness to people of what I'm doing in your life. This is a dramatic, dramatic change. This is a complete about face. This is a man who is completely changed in an instant because of what Jesus did in his life. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles I am sending you to them to open up their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Wow. Are you serious? That Jesus would go to a man who completely opposed him Okay, a lot of us have, we have past, we have history, we have regrets and mistakes, but most of us haven't openly and passionately opposed Jesus the way Paul did. We haven't lived a lifestyle that directly opposed Jesus and tried to stop what he's done. I know that there are some in this room who may have done that, but for the most part, most of us haven't done that. We've got baggage and we've got skeletons in the closet, but most of it wasn't completely opposing Jesus and trying to stop the message of Jesus. But this was a man who did that. And Jesus came to him right where he was and called him to be his servant and to be his witness and to go to the very people among who he was a part of and tell them the hope that's found in Jesus. The irony of God using a man who lived a life that directly contradicted everything he was about, and God showed up in his life and called him to be an advocate for the message of Jesus. You know, I've, I've read this story, I've heard this story many times. But there's a detail about this story that I've never really focused on, that I've never really grasped confidently, and it's this fact. Acts chapter 26 is written by a man who is imprisoned for being a Christian. And he was a man who used to imprison Christians. And yet now, he's on the opposite end of the life that he used to live and God is giving him an opportunity to the people that are doing to him what he used to do to others to share the hope and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what I think about your past. Those things that you aren't proud of, those regrets, those mistakes, those sins, that just maybe those are the very things that God will allow to become a platform for you to declare his goodness in life. That just maybe, 
an alcoholic would hear the message of Jesus better from a former alcoholic than from someone who's never tasted alcohol. Just maybe, just maybe, someone who has an addiction or a habit would hear the message of Jesus from someone who used to have that addiction or that habit, but who has been radically rescued from that addiction or that habit and can share with them the hope that's found in Jesus because of where God's brought them from. Your past doesn't have to limit you. Rather, your past can be a platform for you to declare the greatness of God and what he's done in your life. Those things that you're so ashamed of could be the very things that someone in your life needs to hear that God brought you from because they may be in similar situations. You don't have to be ashamed of your past. I'm not asking you to be proud of it. I'm not asking you to brag about it. But I'm saying that the very things in your past that you've carried around as guilt and shame can be the very things that God wants to use as a platform for you to stand on and say, this is who I used to be, but it's not who I am today. And God has changed me and he can change you. And he wants to do in your life what he's done in my life. Your past doesn't have to limit you. But your past can prove God's faithfulness for the future. If you're here today, man, and you've got a past that's haunted you. Some people just have a past that they can't get past, that they, that they can't leave behind, that they carry with them, that affects their personality, it affects their interactions, it affects their self-esteem and the way they see themselves, the way they talk to others about themselves, and they constantly struggle with what they've done and who they used to be. And you see yourself as a person of the past rather than a person in Jesus. You can do a a word study of the words you are in the New Testament and you'll find some incredibly hopeful things for a person who's in Jesus. You are a child of God. You are loved by the creator of the universe. You are a prized possession of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are not defined by your past. You're defined by Jesus and what he's doing and what he's done in your life. And I want us to be a church that stands in who Jesus says we are and that walks in his calling on our life as servants of the Most High and as witnesses to others of what he's doing and has done in our lives and see the past as just what it was, who I used to be. It's not who you are anymore, right? But society would say if someone has murdered someone, they're what? A murderer. Society would say if someone has abused children, they're what? They're a pedophile. Society would say that if someone has done something, then they are someone. But it doesn't work like that with Jesus. Jesus says, if you've done something, then so have I. And Jesus came that you might have life and to set you free from your past and to rescue you and redeem you and set you on a different course and a different path for life. And I love, I love, I love, I love that Jesus uses underdogs like Paul to accomplish unfathomable things for the sake of Jesus. Can you imagine that two-thirds of our New Testament was written by a man who used to murder Christians? Can you imagine that, that a man who started churches and wrote letters to churches and accomplished so much for the sake of Jesus was a very man who used to make it his life's mission to stop everything about the church and the movement of Jesus. 
Jesus loves to find people like you and me who have a past and in spite of our past, call us out of that and make us new creations and ask us to play a role in his story. And my encouragement to you today is to leave the past in the past. There's things in your past you're proud of, but they're the past. There's things in your past that you regret and you're ashamed of, but they're the past. Today, in this moment, right now, you can be in Jesus who he says you are. And your past doesn't have to limit you from being used of God. Father, I'm so thankful that you didn't come to this earth simply to point out how bad we were. That you didn't come to highlight our injustices. You didn't come to highlight our failures. You didn't come to highlight our weaknesses. But rather, you came to rescue us from them. And you set us free from those things. And for every man and for every woman and for every student that's hearing my voice, that may be dragging the past with them as if it's chained around their legs and they're carrying the weight and the burden of the guilt and the shame and the condemnation from what they used to be and what they used to do and it's affecting who they are today. I pray right now (coughs) that you would set them free in Jesus' name.